Welcome to Kaiseki Anime, where we air new episodes every other week. Kaiseki covers currently airing anime, older series seen recently, and other relevant topics for the season. I'm your host, Marina, of the blog Anime B&B, and with me is my co-host, Draggle, of the cleverly titled Draggle's Anime Blog. This week, we discuss how a realist hero rebuilt the kingdom, part two, as well as life with an ordinary guy who reincarnated into a total fantasy knockout, with our special guest, Yotan. So welcome again, Yotan. It's great to have you. Thanks, Raggle and Marina. It's uh, a pleasure to be here talking about this season's fine isekai offerings. Yeah. Fine. Fine. I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> and if you all want to follow Yotan, his Twitter is Yotan1. Is that right? That's right. So first, let's talk about all of our personal favorites, I think. How a realist hero rebuilt the kingdom, part two. I've been eagerly anticipating this for the past couple years now, I think. You're kidding me, right? Yeah, they I'm were kidding. Good years. Yeah. Okay, I was like, I hope there's sarcasm in that, because when we talked about the first season, how many seasons ago, it wasn't that long ago, I thought you were basically sleeping through these episodes, like you found them insufferably boring. Yeah, that's right. And I know that, Hyoen, you actually just finished the first season, right? Yes, and I caught up in a bit of the second season. I think I made it through the second episode on my first try and i just could not handle the main character the plot the food <laughs> plot all the the different characters it was just too much for me yeah and it's amazing now that we're into a second season and somehow we've all finished the first season and we're talking about this this new sequel now i don't know what possessed us to watch it but um, just a little bit of facts about this show. It's an isekai. Uh, the director, Takashi Watanabe, um, has done lots of works that are pretty famous, like Shakugen no Shana, The Honor of Magic at High School, Heavy oh. Object. Assuming we recognize all these. Even Boogie Pop Phantom, which surprised me. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. And then, like, the main character, the, the main voice character, who you guys probably find insufferable as well <laughs> is also like a main character voice in dr stone and ray zero so we've got some really big titles and people working on this show i don't really mind the main character voice just the main oh, character content the character though yeah yeah yeah. i hate him i i was uh not too surprised when you said the director made the honor of magic high school there oh yeah that one doesn't surprise me much but some of the <laughs> other ones i was like I was like, really? Because <laughs> I haven't actually seen Boogie Pop Phantom, but I know it has a bit of a cult following. People yeah, think of it, seem to think of it pretty highly. I've seen it. I, th I thought it was pretty good. The old one or the new one? or both? I think of the old one, the original. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. The one that was not very much like Boogie Pop, but it was still kind of its own little beast. I'm also surprised yeah. by Demon King Daima. Oh, that was a great show. <laughs> great, according to Trackle. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, maybe this is the best that they could do with what they were given. That's, that's oh, possible. you mean like the source material? Yeah, this is actually the best of all worlds. Uh, I don't know much about, I guess the creator is Dozemaru. I don't know if he's done anything else. Ha Do you guys have any background information about him? Uh, well, I don't have information on him, but to kind of discuss where Realist Hero came from, this is one of those web novels from the website Shosetsuka Ninaro, and that's... 
I think it loosely translates to let's become a novelist. And so it used to be kind of a fan fiction site like AO3, and then it transitioned oh. into no fan fiction, only original works. Uh, I think Frog Green huh. did an article about it one time explaining oh, how, okay. how um, I forget, it, it's one of the, I think it's the Familiar of Zero, one of those summoning stories that kind of spawned all these original fictions that people mm-hmm. would write, which kind of birthed its way into becoming the isekai genre. Hmm. I see. Okay, that makes sense. So, for example, uh, such fine works as Arya Ferreira, Death March, uh, Average Abilities, People of the Wise Men, Rejo of Healer, Shield Hero, and Realist Hero all kind of stem from this this Naro website. Mushoku Tensei, is that one? Mushoku Tensei, yes. Yes. That, that was a good mm. one. Interesting. This one's a, a bit of a, a variant, though, where they have... Um, it reminds me of... Oh, crap. What was it called? The one with the Demon King, and she's, like, this girl with big boobs and red hair. <laughs> and she uses, like, her knowledge of the current world to outsmart these dumb peasants and teach them how to live life. I, I, I know what you're talking about. I don't know yeah. if um, Hyoin remembers it. Yeah. But th- this one's similar, except uh, this time he's not using just his generic knowledge of the modern world. He's using his knowledge of Machiavelli and the Prince. Yes. Let's just, like, cram that down our throats repeatedly across episodes. <laughs> but yeah, this is an isekai like we uh, established already, and he's brought here, and through his common sense, he uses, like, realist approaches to fixing the kingdom as a placeholder king, right? Yeah, quote-unquote realist, but I, I would I would debate whether it's realistic at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I th- in terms of realism, I think it's definitely not quite there because of all the magic... It kind of presents different problems than we might be used to. Um, and certainly the, the way things go down all, all, so smoothly all the time, there never seems to really be any major drawbacks in his plans, not even just resistance, just like delays and problems that would normally be associated with trying to make all these societal engineering military feats. Well, if you just be realistic, there would be no problems in society. <laughs> That's just how reality works. It's, yeah. it's very easy. That's why right his idea. his government worked so well in the first season. He he thought had this realistic idea of asking the experts what to do. No one had ever thought of that before, and that solved you all the problems don't. of society. <laughs> I do remember you complaining about that last season. Yeah, uh, but in terms of realism, uh, I guess the the realist in the title at the end, at least according to the end of season one, seems to be contrasted with idealism and so the re- the realist is someone who adapts to what is actually in front of them whereas the idealist approaches it with principles first what i find interesting about the show is that this dude kazuya soma is like extremely idealistic he is very like strict ideals of what a society should look like very democratic very open like he's manipulative but i mean Every, like all the characters in the show are manipulative and so he's being contrasted with the leader of the the empire the saint and so she, the whole idea is he's supposed to be too, very pragmatic, and she's live with has these like pie in the sky ideals. But they both they both have that. So it, it's it's a very strange title. I thought it was more like the mundane hero, if anything, because all of his problems that he approaches seem to be very talky. They don't seem to be like answered with like military things and swords, etc. Oh, I see. You haven't seen too much of the second season. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he is very talky, and it's you know I actually think i liked the first season more than the second season i don't know how you 
feel about that, Draggle, if you agree or not. I like the second season better because oh. it had a, it had a great episode on slavery. No, <laughs> I like the second season definitely has a totally different tone because I know that Hyun was talking about like the food, right? It just felt fluffier and more peaceful, idealistic, like you said in the first season. Well, the second season, you actually do see more action. Uh, you see them deal more like with blood you know real real mm. death on their hands and then yes we have the most recent slavery episode so we've gone down <laughs> a darker road yeah i think we we have the same same kind of opinion but we just enjoy different things like oh, the first season <laughs> first season is like watching a landfill get filled with trash and then the what? second season is like lighting it up and setting it on fire. And you you like watching the chaos. I like the chaos. You like the peace. That's why you like Arya. Why? Okay. Yeah. Hey, and you said you've only seen up to the second episode. Or did you watch any more of the second season? Uh, let's see. I saw the the most recent episodes. Oddly enough, I read I read summaries for the up till that point. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm more aware of like I think it, as I understand it, there's like more of a political thriller, but also a lot more like military conflict questions about uh, like the the ownership of the land and trying to unify mm-hmm. it, as well as a massive amount of like in of like character drama about who gets to wed this guy. Right. <laughs> Multiple people want to marry him. You know, this is this is actually a harem show, didn't you know? Oh my god, that's like the worst part. His main girlfriend, that princess, she's. Like, what has she done the past two seasons? Nothing. She's at his side, right? She's like his his piece, eyepiece. She's like his secretary, yeah. Like, the show's treatment of Lisha drives me crazy. Like, the only thing she really has going for her is that she's, like, betrothed to marry him. And then everyone just jumps on that one shtick. The the singer, the that uh, the princess that they pick up. The literally, everyone wants a piece of him. Yeah, and yeah, I don't know why. He's so boring. Because he saved this kingdom. He's their savior. What do you mean? <laughs> I guess I mean, so. they bring that up later, right? When they're talking with that, I think Kyoten brought her up. What's her name? She's a leader, like the sort of the uh, saint of the other kingdom, right? People call her a saint, but she's not actually. Okay, um, and she said, yeah, she said, with everything that you've done, you are actually very easily um, prone to being called a saint by your people as well, right? Um which, again, I think sort of shows that they're more alike than the show is describing to us. Mm. It's hard for me to keep track of this show because there's that other, uh, the genius prince, which is like so similar. Yeah, we got them confused, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. they do seem very similar on paper, but they're actually, they are similar, but they're also very dissimilar in other aspects, especially with the main characters and how they approach, like their personalities and how they approach situations. Exactly. Genius prince is much better. But we aren't talking about that one today. So. No, no, we are not talking about that today. Although they would have been great to compare. Back to uh, Realist Hero, though. Uh, you were talking about Leisha, right? Like some of the characters. Like he's got like a whole plethora of women to choose from. Yeah, he's got the princess. He's got the bodyguard. He's got the singer. Doesn't he have his sister? Or is that the other show? I think that's the other show. <laughs> other <laughs> show yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, he has the, she's like the little sister type, the merchant girl. Oh, yeah, the yeah. one who's also a princess? Yeah, yeah. The of Amadonia, right? Yeah. The Amadonia princess. There's also, like, I feel there's a possibility, like, or at least there's definitely an attraction with the Empire women, you know, the sisters. There's the leader and then, like, her military sister. That's the one that, Jean, the one that actually comes to. For sure, yeah. I think my favorite is the, the merchant. 
She she at least has a personality kind of. She yeah, she's verb, funny. Yeah. yeah. I think I do think it's a funny detail that Juna the singer they have to keep the betrothal secret because people in the even in alternate fantasy worlds people will go crazy if their entertainers get married. Yeah, if they're idle, they must stay pure and for the people. Uh, yeah, that's just realism, don't you know? <laughs> it's the realist hero. Yeah, and he has to marry multiple people. That's just realism. The kingdom couldn't go on with only one queen. I mean, that is a valid uh, strategy, I think, of kingdoms before, right? Is that they yeah. had to keep their marriage options open for promise of a possible union, right, with another country? Right. So, I mean, they're covering that. Something I did find strange, though, in the first season was that they emphasized that Lish's parents did, I guess, were monogamous. The original king never took a concubine, which is right. kind of an unusual detail. I wasn't really certain if that would become important later. I mean, I think it's important now because they keep bringing up marriage for him, right? Yeah. Like they have his da- their daughter, quote unquote, be his fiance, which they did for reasons then. But then now he's engaged to Juna and now... Um, the Amadonia princess wants to marry him as well, right? Were there any other marriage proposals? The bodyguard. Oh, the bodyguard. Like, their, her family wanted her to marry him as well, right? <laughs> right. Honestly, I was surprised that Carla never got really involved in this, but Carla seemed to be losing her position very quickly. Carla featured with a battle, right? She's the sort of flying dragon girl. Yeah. Yes, and she, she's currently, I think, a chambermaid. Yes, very strange development. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the, the fate of the losers in battle. It's just, it's just realism. Uh, to wear a maid outfit, yes. So I really liked the slavery episode. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to talk about maids, I guess that naturally segues into slavery discussion, yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the slavery episode. <laughs> All right, go go at it. What did, what did you guys think of that? I, I think it was around when they started talking about how that if they made changes too quickly, there would be civil war. And then Kazuya said, well, in my world, someone tried to make these changes too quickly and there was a civil war. Which, when I fully lost it, because I actually <laughs> don't know what he was talking about. You didn't think he was talking about us? About the US? That was my initial thought, but that isn't mm-hmm. doesn't actually describe what happened here. That is, even up till the eve of the Civil War, there were still really no plans to free the slaves. The Lincoln, mm-hmm. for example, originally wanted to repatriate the slaves back to Africa, which is kind of a, a whole different beast, so to say. I think he was talking about America. He just and has had no, been, right? no understanding of history. Wars. Yeah, well, bigger ones about slavery specifically. And I think it's particularly funny because Soma himself is from Japan, where Hideyoshi freed the slaves around the 1600s. And there simply wasn't the type of conflict he was thinking of. The conflicts that he he is thinking of arose precisely because they did what he did, which is to come up with these halfway solutions, trying to keep slavery around and allowing people to entrench their own beliefs. Beyond that, I think this, the show just has kind of an incredibly incomplete understanding about why slavery continues not just you know the financial benefits of it but also the you know racist the the racism behind it that there's these interests in society who have really vested interests in keeping uh things the way they are um in his own government even although of course someone would or kazuya would never admit that beyond that keeping the the slaves as employees kind of seems to feed into kind of a modern day fantasy that the problem is that these people just don't have jobs 
Uh, so there's kind of a classist aspect to it as well. Yeah. And then it has the whole, uh, oh, actually, the slave owner is a good thing. And we just have to uh, incentivize them to educate their slaves. Yeah, the education. It's, it, the obsession with education, I understand why it is so obsessed with education, but I think we've seen plenty of educated people in the United States, particularly, who have very backwards ideals. Yeah. So I think kind of overestimates the value of that. Also, as I understand it, there's a, I think I, I missed it on my walkthrough, but there's like a masochist slave. The masochist slave. I don't remember that one. In this particular episode, I don't recall that, and I'm not sure if I can remember that being in the past. Okay. There, there was like the the slave owner that was so good, and now he's going to marry his slaves. <laughs> oh my goodness, marrying your slaves. That is definitely... Definitely something that has never been a problem in history. Yeah, never. I mean, it was something that he threw it at the end there, right? But I did think it was a really strange take to spend almost the entire episode being from the slave owner's point of view and like a sympathetic point of view, right? Like they really wanted us to like him. Yeah. And they really wanted us to like see how he was an innocent bystander, right? Like he was inheriting this business that his father had. And they apparently all loved his father, and they're just now super sad that he died, and they might get separated. And they need to explain to him, like, why they're sad, because he's just completely ignorant about how slavery is. And <laughs> Yeah, and he couldn't possibly just free them, because then he would lose money. Well, I think it's a valid point. It's a very touchy ground that we're on right now, right? Um, because, yeah, he could free them. But this is, I think, true. The concern is that then what happens? You free them, and then what happens to them? They just walk out the door and go where? In a nation that supports slavery. They can't take care of themselves. They need their slave owner to protect them. I'm asking you seriously, though. Like, (laughs) What do you expect them to do in a nation that supports slavery if you just say you're free and you open the door? Well, I don't know. He uh, He could free them, and then he could hire them and pay them. That is one of the, the um, choices that he could have made, right? Uh, it sounds like he's in debt or something. That's why, like, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to, like, make money by selling them off to good slave owners like him, <laughs> right? <laughs> Ones that will treat him well. The socialization of the slave trade is really, I, I think that's actually in a lot of ways even more reprehensible than the previous previous way right is that it's sort of supporting the continuation and they're trying to make light of it by saying that oh this is just like the first step to many steps to eventually getting rid of it right but i do think that it's somewhat okay for them to acknowledge that it's got a lot more work behind just freeing the slaves like you do need to make a path if you truly want to help them get out to somewhere where they can be safe without just basically just throwing them straight into a a storm, straight into the fire, right? It's not that easy. And then I think it does acknowledge that to a certain extent, even though it doesn't do a good job of it. I think it needed a lot more other people's viewpoints besides the the slave Just his. Yeah. Right. Which, I I mean, that's a problem Realist Hero always seems to have, that it's stuck to these very singular viewpoints and has a hard time with any sort of flexibility. Yeah. It's all about the upper classes. Exactly. But then they then they uh, like search for experts and they bring in the lower class. The lower class are there to, I guess, uh, uh, praise the the higher ones who are showering them with their benefices. Exactly, exactly. And then the best prize is to marry the prince, <laughs> or to marry your slave owner. Speaking of marriages, 
Mar- what? Just like the speaking, <laughs> speaking of hot ladies. <laughs> a life with an ordinary guy who reincarnated into a total fantasy knockout. A show that I completely dropped after one episode until you guys wanted to talk about this. So what did I do? I caught up on it. So I have now seen <laughs> all, right. all of the released episodes. Yes. Wow. So do you regret it? Uh, no. In fact, I enjoy this more than realist hero like it was it was a chore to catch up on realist hero like i was like uh and then this one i was actually kind of like oh i'm laughing through these episodes i'm uncomfortably laughing through many of these episodes but i'm laughing yeah i was surprised how good it was not boring i thought this would be like some uh, homophobic stuff but it, it really wasn't I feel like it is and it isn't. I don't know. It's, it's borderline, but it's it's very borderline. I, I feel like they they were definitely in love before they uh, changed genders. Definitely. You think so? Yeah. I feel like that's true of Jinguji, but I don't know about Hinata. Well, that's true. Hinata just didn't know about it quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the most recent episode, he kind of comes to realization that maybe he did, like, really adore Jinguji, or at least, like, admire him. But I don't know if that's, like, the same as love, right? Or being emotionally or sexually tr- attracted to Jinguji, Certainly. right? Yeah, yeah. But they're very cute together. It's like, I think uh, he noted that this is, this is done by a married couple, right? Yeah, so the original manga was done by I think it was, I forget their names but the the wife was the, was writing it and the husband was drawing it and I think that that kind of shows up in the banter between the two It does. That's why I thought of that, right? Is that it seems like a very natural back and forth between the two of them. They're definitely very flawed people, but they're also I I also think they're really likable. It's, I can always understand where they're coming from and why they do things and they're generally like gentle enough especially with each other. That they don't come off as, you know, sociopathic. <laughs> Something else I really like, too, is that, like, when one of them, like, goes over the line, like, they eventually realize it, right? Yeah. They, they think back on, like, how they were acting, how the other person reacted to it. And they actually acknowledge that when they have arguments. So I like that, too. Yeah. It's really about, like, how much work it takes to keep relationships going. Yeah. I mean... Really, the only work that needs to be done is he needs to let Hina to just go to sleep inside the apartment <laughs> and just <laughs> open the door whenever they get to their destination. That just makes the most sense to me. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. I never thought of that. <laughs> but no, they, they explain why that's bad, right? <laughs> but yeah, this was an interesting one. I had never heard of it, and I don't think I'd really heard of anyone involved with with it beforehand compared to Realist Hero, which I think had just, you know, the whole bells and whistles, Inori Minase, so on. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it was a very, it's a very enjoyable experience in general with one, one character who I do not like. Oh, who is that? <laughs> the, the elf. I, I cannot stand the elf. Uh, I don't like her character and I don't like the, the traitor, the like undercover traitor dude. The two of them, they could go out of the show. Yeah, I hate the traitor too. Yeah. At first, it was like I was annoyed with her, and I'm not sure if our dislike of her matches. I just think that she is a complete moron, yeah. and I don't like like complete, utter, complete morons like that. Uh, it's not even like funny moron like you would have, say, with Aqua. You know, like how she's like dumb, but it's it's like endearing. <laughs> like she's dumb in an infuriating way, right? <laughs> the elf. Uh, and then having her like picked up into slavery. Like, I 
kind of felt like, oh, it serves you right. But then also like, hey, slavery is really bad. So I don't agree <laughs> with this, right? And then like when they try to introduce us to this somewhat charismatic slave trader who, oh, I, I don't normally deal with human trafficking, but in this situation, right? And then <laughs> they want us to like him. I, I don't know how you felt about that, but I was like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not cool with this. And, and they keep like trying to like shrug it off, but I, like, I'm not going to forget. And I'm not going to like either of them. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's certainly, it was certainly a much stranger storyline compared to the previous one about Schwartz, the Chuni little kid who is a moron as well, but I think was also smarter in some ways. And I, uh, he's such a Kirito lookalike. Like I, once I, th- <laughs> once you learn his age, or once I learned his age, I totally understood where he was coming from. But, I mean, that's purposeful, isn't yeah. it? Like, the second that he pulls his, like, cloak off and you see that outfit, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this before. Oh, uh, that great. looks familiar. And then when he says his name, and you're just like, what do you, what do you, what's your actual name? What's your Japanese name? He's like, no. No. <laughs> no and then he shows his stats, yeah? And he, like, covers up his name so you can't see it. Like, I, that's got to be, like, some key point later on in the show, right? They're going to reveal that, aren't they? Yeah, it's probably, I mean, it's probably something, you know, incredibly unmemorable. And so this is his shot at, like, having fun in the fantasy world, except his fancy sword got eaten and lost. Yeah, so. that, I'm wondering if he'll ever get it back, because that's that's perfect that he lost it. But. His goddess was funny, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a dumbass. My favorite, though, was the princess from mm. the latest episode. A princess. The one who, like, the girl meets when she's about to jump off the balcony. Oh, yeah, yeah. The one, like, she's going to kill herself. Yeah. And then... and then she gets embarrassed. Why do you like her so much? I don't know. I just thought she was funny. <laughs> I think she's a good match personality-wise um, with Jigunji, right? And as such, she makes, like, a good rival for Hinata. <laughs> or, oh, really? She's a rival? In a way, like... A jobber, maybe. I was thinking the other way. I thought she's a rival. Oh, I see. Like, you think that she butts heads more with Jinguji than with Hinata? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I thought they were, like, butting heads in a similar way that Jinguji and Hinata butt heads to where I feel like there's a little bit of a chemistry attraction there. But maybe uh, I need to rewatch it. No, maybe, maybe she's playing both sides. Yeah. Maybe. I could see She it. could. <laughs> but she gets along much better with, uh, what's her name, Tachibana? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing I like about the show is that it just kind of consistently, at least in my opinion, looks good. At least, at least it's, I can look at it and not be like, oh, this is unpleasant to look at. Like the monster designs, I think are a lot of fun to look at, especially like the big furry thing with the huge mouth. <laughs> like the character designs yeah. are attractive compared to something like Realist Hero, which just goes off model in the strangest ways every now and then. And lots of reuse stills, too. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when there are scenes where they're just stuck in one room and they're talking and talking uh-huh. and talking, and it keeps, like, panning over to the table, and it's the same same shot that they've used multiple times. Yeah. Fantasy Knockout looks a lot better. And when you, when you say scenes, talking and looking at the table, the scenes will last, like, entire episodes or more. <laughs> yeah, and I say scenes because there actually are multiple scenes like that. Yeah. And I don't recall there being anything like that in Fantasy Knockout. I, I don't feel like they really reuse things in that way. No, they have that room, but they barely spend any time in there. The uh, the apartment that's behind the door? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it uses the comedy, too, very effectively, to, even when things are kind of like in a lull to keep things moving. For its realist hero, I thought, it's so, it's so serious all the time. Yeah. It, it was in the first season, I felt. Yeah. But increasingly so in the second season, yeah. Yeah. Which makes it even 
more insufferable, but I guess Drago likes it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, I just like suffering. I see. <laughs> are we the suffering? Yeah, are you enjoying our suffering, Drago? Yes, I'm, I'm enjoying watching you suffer and making you watch Girlless Hero. <laughs> so that I can see your suffering. That's really my alternative, my uh, wow. secret motive. The secret plan. Are you sure you're not one of the goddesses in fan- Title Fantasy Knockout? Because I feel like these gods also enjoy suffering to an extent. Yeah, maybe I could be. That could have been my past life. The, the god of anime. Yes, and god of bad anime. One last thing I guess I do find really interesting about Total Fantasy Knockout is, in spite of, you know, kind of towing the line a lot on how how far it can go with the sex-based humor, at its core, mm-hmm. I think it's very, you know, positive about the gender fluidity of Hinata, like what's happened to them. Because I think there's a scene where Hinata and Jinguji are talking and Hinata asks Jinguji about gender and Jinguji is like, yeah, gender is, you know, kind of a construct anyway, so don't worry so much about it. Just kind of, you know, live your life. Which which I thought it was a surprisingly mature viewpoint. I guess that goes into the kind of the, the whole marriage to, to kind of go back to the whole marriage thing about about the relationship between the artist and the author. There's something to be said for a lot of ex- of authors get having a lot of experiences in life because they're able to talk about these kind of things from their own experiences and being able Mm -hmm. to put their own thoughts with realist hero. I almost never get that idea that the author has lived through anything. It's, it's all very textbook. Oh yeah. That's, that's very true. It feels like he read about it. Right. And it's talking about things he's read about without having experienced any of it. And so in that way, it feels far less genuine. Right. Once you've read Machiavelli, you realistically (laughs) know how the world works. I should go read more Machiavelli and then, yeah, I should write like a story about it, right? Yeah, then, well, no, then you should become a dictator. <laughs> I should become a dictator! <laughs> President Marina, I like that. Time to yeah. get summoned into a new world. <laughs> Tune in again to Kaisuke Anime Podcast two weeks from now. Please feel free to send us questions or comments on Twitter with hashtag Kaisuke Anime Podcast or on our individual accounts at Drago underscore Kuhn and Anime BNB. Thanks again to our special guest, Yotan, who you can follow yes. at Yotan1 on Twitter. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to grow and improve. You can also find us on Google Play and Spotify. Thanks for listening. See you next time.